Welcome to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a returning listener, thank you. Tales has been downloaded in 158 cities, 9 countries, and 4 continents. So if any of you have Facebook friends in Africa or South America, please forward it to them to allow them to enhance their cultural experience with stories like strippers on the golf course, cart girl extravaganza, and outright sexual advances just to win a bet. I mean, you just can't make this shit up. This week, I'm dedicating this episode to every golfer that has a detention center for all their clubs that have disappointed them in the past. I mean, I have a Turkish prison for clubs that have outright chunked, bladed, putted offline, and driven the ball out of bounds when I needed them most. Because as we all know, it's the club, it's not the golfer. But before I go into my prison system for my clubs, which is basically life with parole, and I'll talk about that a little later. I wanted to talk a little bit about the PNC Championship, the old father-son tournament that happened the weekend before Christmas. Unless you're living under a rock, which by the way I do every once in a while, Tiger Woods debuted his youngest child, his 11-year-old son Charlie, to compete in the annual father-son golf event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida. And unless you boycotted Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and stayed off the entire internet for the weekend, it was the hottest news for the weekend. Even the Clemson-Notre Dame game took second fiddle to Phenom Charlie. Now, I tend to listen to media very skeptically, After a year of watching and listening to Fox News, CNN, and all the other networks virtually make shit up and filter news to appeal to their audiences on election coverage, now I have to see and hear things myself to develop my own opinions. And even that's biased based on my experiences. So I turn on the news and I hear this. Competing in the PNC Championship, his teammate is getting all the focus. It's on Charlie, his 11-year-old son and playing partner. Look at the swing. On the range, the two of them, if you recognize the swing, it's his dad. It looks incredibly similar. All right, so I had a lot of thoughts about that, but it piqued my interest. It piqued my interest to go ahead and record the PNC series over the weekend. Now, I was working at the golf course over the weekend, so I couldn't see it live, But even when I see things live, particularly sporting events or anything else that's not a great movie or a series, I tend to double screen. So I'll sit there and watch the recording and then I'll have my phone in front of me to either look things up that I'm watching or continue to look at TikToks to learn how to cook and learn how to lip sync and learn how to do dances that I'm never going to do. I mean, basically the only time I'm not double screening is when I'm streaming different series. Like, if you haven't seen The Flight Attendant, Mandalorian, Queen's Gambit, The Undoing, by the way, I guessed who the killer was, like, right in the beginning, or Wayne, which I thought, that's a sleeper. You gotta see Wayne. 
or Shameless or Your Honor on Showtime, you're missing out. I think these are pretty good series, and during the pandemic, I've had a lot of time to watch series. So while I'm working at the golf course and I'm recording uh, the PNC Golf event, my social media keeps blowing up with, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. I'm thinking the media is so star for news after the election and post-election mania that they have to pick on Tiger and his kid just to get some news, to get people to view it. So I get home, and I start watching the event. Look, the fact that Charlie emulates his father's swing is not unusual to me. I'm stuck with my dad's frantic flailing at the ball. I mean, his swing resembled Ray Floyd's, and if you've ever seen Ray Floyd hit a ball, he was unconventional, but he was effective. And the fact that Charlie emulates his dad's fist pump and his competitive, ice-cold killer demeanor, it doesn't impress me. I mean, I've taken on my dad's mannerisms and expressions like whipped cream on a shit pie whenever I double bogey a hole after a 30-foot snaking putt. But what did impress me is this 11-year-old kid was positioning drives in the center of the fairway, throwing darts at the green from inside of 150 yards and putting lights out to make his first eagle putt on television with over a million people watching. Yeah, so when I was 11, I was into my new banana seat bike, electric football, and I was just one year into learning how to play golf. And yeah, I started to play as a lefty because my parents were lefties. My brother was a lefty, and I was unsure what I was. Whenever I picked up a baseball bat, I would go lefty. So my dad's like, okay, let's make him a lefty. So I started as a lefty. Well, that didn't, that didn't last very long. Needless to say... I wasn't getting any invites to display my golf skills in front of a million and a half viewers. But Charlie Woods, he had a different childhood than most kids. And so far, it looks like competitive golf is something he can do, and he could do well. And if you don't believe me, just listen to some of the sound bites from the announcers over the weekend. Woods opened up their PNC championship. And watch this second shot by Charlie Woods. Beauty. Oh, at the Keep par turning. five third, five wood from 175 yards. What, a five wood 175 yards away? Pfft, I can do that. Yeah, but I couldn't do it at 11 and not on TV. To about four feet. They used his drive. They used his second shot. And then Charlie steps up for the eagle. Look how proud dad is. Proud? I'd be ecstatic. I, I wouldn't be able to hold in. I'd be doing the Macarena on the green, and then my son would be coming up and saying, Dad, you're embarrassing me. It up for another birdie. 11 years old, he doesn't hit the ball as high as the other players in this field. Brilliant comment, Noda. I mean, he's 11. He's not going to hit the ball as high as everybody else. He's just a little guy. He's got more of the green to work with. Oh, man. Oh, what a shot! Or you could just go straight at it. Forget the uh, strategy of playing safe to the left. Well, pretty good effort there by the Cub. I mean, imagine you're in sixth grade. And internationally now, you have a nickname, the Cub. That's pretty cool. I mean, some people are calling him Baby Goat, but I don't think you could put the goat before the horse. 18, so you saw a little bit of everything. 
from Charlie and his dad today, and it was a huge success. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we've seen a few of those fist pumps on a Sunday in the red and black. Tiger joked yesterday that Charlie was carrying him. You know, Tiger said yesterday, and of course he cares about his own game, but the most important thing here is just to make sure that Charlie is having the time of his life, and why wouldn't he be when he's doing things like that? Another birdie from the Woods group, courtesy of Charlie. And what was more impressive to me as a father was Tiger's comments to the media about his son's debut in the tournament. Having those, those moments and this, this is an opportunity for us to come together and, uh, and share you know, great moments like this. He is competitive, yes, and uh, uh, our whole family is that way. Yeah, I thought that was a respectable soundbite. What was different about this golf event is while winning is the objective, it wasn't where the cameras and the mics were. All you've got to do is Google PNC Championship and click on images. Over 75% of the picks were Tiger and Charlie. Some were of the Thomases, by the way, who won. Very few were Vijay Singh and his son. They came in second, one shot behind the leader. There were some with John Daly and Little John because years in the past, Little John was the thing, and that's who the media was behind. A few were of Greg Norman and his son. Well, we all know what you were thinking about Greg Norman. Did you notice that they only took shots from his waist up? I mean, this was a golf exhibition that got serious attention because the Woods twosome, despite the fact that they came in seventh place, they beat 13 other teams that had much more experienced golfers. And yeah, this guy's an 11-year-old kid. So yeah. I was impressed. Back to the theme of the podcast this week, and that's putting clubs in probation. You know, penalizing them, putting them in the penalty box for things that they've done without your approval. Before I found this new love of podcasting, I held these management roles in sales and marketing. Two of the companies were well-established Fortune 500 companies that had very involved HR departments. One of their major disciplines was personnel management and development. And inside that was the engine that powered it all, performance management. And for those of you unfamiliar with it, it's another name for carrot in the stick. Salaries, bonuses, and promotions were the carrots, all tied to specific performance criteria and behavior. So not only what you did, but how you did it. But goals and objectives was the stick. That was a phrase nobody wanted to hear because it usually meant that they had 90 days to improve whatever was lacking or they would be transitioned sideways or out. Most salespeople that went on GNO found the exit door more often than a path to success, mostly because 90 days wasn't going to fix what was broken. In publicly traded companies, we report quarterly earnings. So we developed this 90-day horizon for most everything, and 90 days to fix something is really difficult. Although some employees just needed a firm talking to 
or a Dutch uncle chat to help them reassess their actions to stay on the team. And this is how I treat my golf clubs. When they start disappointing me, I read them the riot act, then I take them to the range and the practice area and try to improve their behavior. But if they continue to hit the ball short, offline, or even try to throw in the dreaded shankopotamus, I give them a final warning and head to the local golf shop for recruiting. First, I'll talk about my putter. I've been, pl- I've been putting with this Scotty Cameron Newport Studio Select for years. I mean, the putter has won me money. The putter has won me a flight in this club championship where I had to make this fast breaking putt on greens that were stemping like 13 and I made the putt and I won. I mean, my Scotty and I have gone places and we have done some really good things. I have had some playing days when I could putt through a landmine of unrepaired divots and goose crap to curve the ball into the hole. But, like most all golfers I know, that feeling and the confidence always dissipates and disappears like a renter in a midnight move-out. I've talked about the importance of practice in one of my other podcasts, and I would tell you that When things like that happen, you just got to spend a shitload of time practicing and practicing and using anything you can, whether you're filming it, whether you're using these alignment devices, but not everybody has that time. And uh, and even when people have that time, they're not going to dedicate it to something that is as boring as putting. So all that being said, when my putting confidence and skills start going in the shitter I'll go to the putting green and I will spend the time and I've got this mirror alignment tool and I'll use tees on the ground and I've got three or four books in my place that I'll refer to you know all the time authors like Dave Peltz Bob Rotella David Stockton Fred Shoemaker Stan Utley all these books Uh, basically have different approaches on either the mental or the physical game of putting. So I'll refer to them. Then I go back out to the course and I go play. And if it still stinks, this is what I do. If I start losing confidence putting, where I can't figure out the speed, I can't figure out the break, you know, I can't figure out anything, the line, I can't see the line anymore. I'll, I'll basically take my putter, walk it into the garage and put it in probation and talk to the putter and say, hey, Scotty, we've made some incredible putts before. We've won matches, but something's going on with you, and I don't know what it is. I've taken you to the practice range, and it looks like you just don't want to play anymore. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a chance to relax. I'm going to put you next to all these other putters and all these other seven irons, woods, and other clubs that also didn't want to play, particularly in cold weather. And maybe over time, you'll want to play again. And I'll come back and I'll get you. How does that sound, Scotty? Well, Scotty, being so demure, does not, you know, doesn't talk back. And why would he? It's a putter. What do you guys think? I'm nuts. So I put Scotty with the other putters and I move on. 
But it just so happens that I happen to play golf with a guy who is a full lefty. And I think he's actually a righty. I think he told me he writes with his right hand, but he plays golf lefty. I think he played hockey lefty. His dad played hockey lefty. And he's always been like my guru for the putters. I mean, he had a really nice uh, Scotty as well that he was using. But I saw him the other day on the range and he told me, hey, I just got this new putter. I got this black spider tailor-made. Now, that happens to be the putter that everybody seems to be using on weekends. Matter of fact, if you're watching the PNC, young Charlie was playing with a spider. But Dustin Johnson plays with a spider and I could probably name five or six others. And it's a mallet kind of putter. For some reason, it just has this weighting that's easy to manipulate, easy to swing, easy to stroke. I'm seeing my buddy Jake the other day. He just got this new putter. He's telling me about it, and he's telling me that Dick's Sporting Goods is running this incredible sale on it. You know, obviously, I've got one putter in probation, probably two others from years ago in probation. I need a fix. I go out. I order the putter. I get it, and I'm on the practice greens at Charleston National, and I'm starting to feel it, and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is going to be great, and it just so happens that we have a golf match set up at a place called Rivertown with greens that are stamping, I'm not kidding, 14 to 15. So we get up there and right before the round, we have like a noon tea time and we get there, we hit a few balls. Uh, the start is telling us, hey, you guys got to wait. So now we have a few minutes. Hey, let's practice a few putts. And all of us get up to this practice area and we are knocking the ball 10, 20 yards past the hole. We're three feet away. And these greens are fast. We're all commenting on it like, holy shit. Well, look, I got my new putter. It's my black spider. And I'm excited about the black spider. And so now we get out to the course and we're playing the front nine. And the first six holes, I think I'm two over. And the black spider is doing really well. And then I don't know what happened. Either the spider lost his legs the spider doesn't like fast greens, but I'm watching the pros play every weekend, and they're really fast greens. So maybe Rich has to just get used to the spider. And the fact that I'm referring to myself in the third person, even a bigger problem. But then as we make the turn and we get to 10, 11, and 12, the black spider is just decide it's got a mind of its own, and it's doing its own thing. And it is missing. It is like I'm opening up the face of the club, like my old style that I did with my flat blade putter. And it just so happens Jake is watching because he's got the black spider. And he's like, hey, Rich, I'll tell you what you're doing wrong once we get to the 13th tee box because that's when he became my partner. Up until then, I was competing against him and won the first six, tied the second six. Now he's thinking, I got to help Rich out. Otherwise, we're not going to win any money here. So he gives me some pointers that I thought were well thought out. Where my ball was positioned, what I'm doing with my hands, how I have to let the weight of the club do it all. I mean, it really made a lot of sense. But as most of you know, it's hard to change anything mid-round. And I tried. And I tried. And we lost the last six holes miserably because I couldn't make a putt. Never mind on the 18th hole with one stroke, hitting the ball into the weeds. That didn't help. Well, that's a, that's a whole different discussion with my driver. But anyway, Black Spider, 
started off like a house on fire and lost its way. But that being the case, it's way too early to even consider goals and objectives for Black Spider. I mean, Black Spider's new. Black Spider doesn't know all these types of different types of grains. And so I'm going to give Black Spider a chance. And I'll take Black Spider to the practice green. But you know this one thing. I'm going to be dropping the name Scotty all the time around Black Spider. Just to make sure if Black Spider wants to play, he's going to play really well. I pretty much apply the same strategy to my drivers. It was a lot easier back in the late 1990s when uh, Adams Golf came in the market with their brand Tight Lies and they drove the price of drivers in Fairway Woods down to $200. Before that, you know, companies like Callaway, TaylorMade, Titleist, all had drivers that were well into the four and $500. So they brought the price down. It made it easier then for me to make a decision to put a club in probation and get another one. Since 2012, when TaylorMade purchased Adams Golf and the Tight Lies brand, Tight Lies has disappeared from all retail shelves. It's almost like they bought the brand to dismantle it and allow prices for their drivers to skyrocket again. Kids, there's a lesson in capitalism. Because of the new high prices in the marketplace... I've been struggling with going out and buying a new driver because I've been struggling with my Callaway driver with a stiff shaft. And what self-respecting golfer doesn't want a stiff shaft? Well, apparently senior golfers. Over the summer, my son Matt comes into town during my driver struggles and borrows my Callaway driver. He proceeds to hit 270, 300-yard drives on almost every par 4 and par 5, convincing me of one thing. My driver wants to play for another team. You know, like pro athletes that excel when they're traded to other teams, like Alex English, Moses Malone, Jason Kidd. And Jason Kidd was one of my favorite guys to watch. I mean, that guy did so many things with the basketball. You never knew which way he was going to throw it, pass it, shoot it. And Chris Webber, who got the nickname C-Webb. And I don't understand why all these new nicknames are coming out when Chris Webber is not that long of a name. I mean, I get nicknames like the Black Mamba, Sir Charles, Johnny Football, King James. These are all nicknames because of performance and I get like abbreviating names like T.O. for Terrell Owens because T.O. became a major name when he was on his game. I also understand Y.A. Tittle. This was a quarterback quarterback who played for the New York Giants. His name was Yelberton Abraham. So Y.A. makes a lot more sense and we know O.J. Simpson. I mean that's a killer name. Yeah so Big Bertha wanted to go into free agency, and he quickly got picked up by Matt Easton, or let's call him M.E. Now I've got to replace the driver, and it just so happens that I go into David Ayers, and I go in, and what's great about these guys is that they'll give you clubs to demo and take out of their shop 
onto a range or onto a golf course and try. And that's the best way to try any kind of club. But I went out and I tried all different types of drivers and the tailor-made Sim Max with a regular shaft, not a stiff shaft, seemed to be the right club for me. But the price point is like $500. So what does Richie do? Again, talking about myself in the third person. I go into my club jail and I pick out 20 clubs I know will never make their way back into my bag. And I go in and I do a fair trade. And so far, Sim Max is the answer for me this month. But quite frankly, if Sim Max starts hitting the ball out of bounds or hitting it left into the water, yeah, there are other clubs in probation that are ready to come back out. So Sim Max, you know what you got to do. listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. And if you enjoy the podcast, rate it on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any extra time, review it. It'll certainly help to keep the light bulb on. Talk to you soon. (laughs) 